Welcome to Launchpad, the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon. Welcome to Launchpad. This is episode 11, and on behalf of Mary Helen Sheriff, The Bookish Road Trip, and myself, Grace Salmon, I'm so excited that you're joining us on this special episode, episode 11 of Launchpad. Today's four authors and their unique novels invite us into the family dynasties of India, carnival sideshows and unspeakable acts, family living situations and old bows, and an ex-con and her complicated female relationships. I'm so excited that you're here today. We tape in front of a live audience. If you are with us live, please feel free to leave comments in the chat ask questions. We'd love you to engage with our authors. So I want to jump right in and welcome Andrew Gatani, Barbara Bohm Miller, Andrea J. Stein, and Nancy Yeager to the Launchpad microphone. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Let's jump right in. And we have uh, viewers with us. So as I said, please feel free to make comments. Andrew, let's start with you. Tell us about Dynasties, the first in the series. First in the series of the Winds of Fire series. Um, it's been a 20 plus year journey with um, the books and Dynasties is basically the story of one woman's struggle. And um, it's a story of Sheetal Prasad and to uphold family honor and traditions. Um, Sheetal Prasad forsakes the man she loves and marries playboy millionaire Rakesh Dhanraj. Um, her world splinters into a web of lies, deceit, and betrayal. And she learns she's got to stand up against the family dynasties in order to protect her infant son from the family's tyranny because now it's just, it's not about her, it's about her son. That's the foundation book for the series, which then explores um, her journey against all odds in modern day India toward justice and self-empowerment. And it is, it's got a little pink badge. So it got the um, International Book of the Month 2023 from the International Pulpwood Queen, uh, which I'm very proud of. And, you know, that's the, the front, the back, um, the back cover. And yeah. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that you shared that with us. And we're going to find out more about um, India's culture and family responsibility as we move through today. You also talked about the abuse in that relationship. So that made me want to go immediately to Barbara um, Bohm Miller and her book, When You See Her. Barbara, tell us about your book. Um, my book, When You See Her, is the story of a young woman who lives in rural Wisconsin. It's set in the late 1970s, and she has a very limited life because she weighs 500 pounds. She has very little formal education and no real job prospects. And her father had died the year previously, and she is essentially stuck in this house with her brother. They have a really contentious relationship. And one night that all comes to a head. And after so much time of wondering what she can do and how she get out, she doesn't really have a choice anymore. She has to leave right at that moment. And a few days prior to that, some men from the carnival had come and said, hey, would you like to come work for us as the fat lady in the sideshow? And she told them no, because decent people don't run away with the carnival. But when she has no other options, it's the best offer she has. She goes with the carnival. It's um, a very rundown, ragtag carnival, sideshows and sort of its last on its last legs in the late 1970s. Um, but it's also really the jumping off point for her life. 
And along the way, she makes really good friendships. She learns to love, she learns to be loved and carves a life for herself in this very unique, closed society and essentially finds a way to live a life in a world that up until then had been just too small for her. I really want to, I, all of your protagonists are so interesting. So I'm gonna to wanna to come back and talk a lot about your protagonists specifically. And in your book, you talk a lot about hiding in plain sight, if you will, which made me think immediately of Andrea J. Stein's book, typecast because she couldn't her character could not have been more insight than uh, in the movies so andrea tell us about your book so my book is typecast and um it is the story of a 31 year old preschool teacher callie dressler in suburban new jersey she lives in the house she grew up in her parents have uh retired to florida and her life is already about to be turned upside down because her type A pregnant sister, brother-in-law and niece are all about to move in with her while their house is under construction. And then she finds out that there is this big new movie coming out and it's written by her college boyfriend. And it seems to be based on their breakup. And um, the story has a dual timeline. We see her in the present day, as well as the development of her four-year college relationship. We know that, um, she ended it right before they were supposed to move cross country together, but we don't know why. And um, the book, I like to say it has some sister drama, it has some romance, it has some humor, roads not taken, forgiveness, regrets, and 80s and 90s pop culture. Well, that sounds like it covers many things for which um, <laughs> we will talk all more about. And we have a Facebook user. We don't know her name or his name, that, but they enjoyed dynasties. It was fascinating to learn about the upper crust in India while immersed also in a great story. So we'll hear more about that. And thank you for that comment. When um, Andrea talks about uh, families and the different kinds of friendship uh, within those, I started thinking about Nancy, because Nancy, you have a very interesting friendship with uh, your character and your ex-con relationship. Tell us about your book, When We Were Friends. So this is this is the book, When We Were Friends. And uh, yes, this is, uh, and I will I just have to say up front, although there's an ex-con uh, in the story, it's not it's not a crime novel. Just there's been <laughs> there's a little bit of Amazon keeps putting it in the crime, you know, the crime <laughs> section. It's not. <laughs> it's women's friendship. It's it's about as you said earlier, Grace, complicated female relationships, best friends, um, mothers and daughters. Right, that one's always fraught. Building found communities, and at the core of the story are Lexi and Franny, who were childhood BFFs, and um, Lexi got into a, a big uh, issue when she was 19. And although they'd been drifting apart at that point, she went to Franny for help. And Franny helped by um, maybe not the best decision, but she stole a lot of money to help her friend. She got caught, protected her friend and went to prison quietly without mentioning Lexi, who was very fragile at that point in her life. And the story opens five years later when Franny's out of prison She's got a dead end life as an ex-con and she just wants her share of the stolen money so she can disappear, go somewhere where no one knows her and start over. And Lexi says, sure, I'll give you the money. But first, I want you to stay around, stick around for 30 days and try to rebuild our friendship. That's those are my conditions. And um, seemingly Lexi has 
you know, she's been, she was not convicted of the crime. And so she's gone on to start her life. However, she's got her own problems. She has, she's struggling with fertility issues. She has a stepdaughter who hates her. And even the family's rescue dog seems to know she's a failure. So she's counting on renewing this friendship, getting back to, to, you know, who she was years ago. So as these two broken women are trying to figure out if this relationship can even work again. Franny gets tangled up in Lexi's issues and the and the stepdaughter who's trying to make friends and the mangy rescue mud and even her old high school crush shows up um, to to and her mother with a sketchy dating life. So Franny has a lot going on, even though she really wants to go somewhere where no one knows her. She's actually in a place where everybody knows her. And she starts to think maybe this could work out and suddenly the past comes back to haunt her and she might not be able to stay in this new newfound um, home of her heart. Also amazing to me. There's, you know, one of my joys in doing Launchpad is always finding these common threads between what appears very disparate books. So there's this concept of, you know, wanting to hide, being in plain sight, family connections, uh, but also this dynamic that uh, we see that, builds power in all of our um, novels. And here we have a lot of uh, family traditions and friendship traditions. I'd like to uh, go back to Anju for a minute. Uh, talk a little bit about your book in terms of the importance of it being nestled within Indian culture. So the entire series stems from Indian culture, um, the roots, the traditions, and you know the practices, especially for women. It falls under women's fiction. But the feedback that I've got is it can easily be tied to, um, even though it's modern India, today's India, there are so many themes interwoven in this book, which I had to really dig up um, after countless research. So, you know, I was addressing issues of emotional abuse, um, which moves and sort of carries on toward physical abuse if it's not uh, alerted and the, the victim doesn't wake up. Poverty, socioeconomic imbalances, which is so common in India. Um, also, you know, the factor of the, the biggest one of the big questions I explored was what does it mean to be a good mother? You know, we all value ourselves as women based on how many strings we can hold, how many threads we can keep. Now, whether we're in modern day India, what I've learned is or modern day America, it really doesn't matter. We're all doing the same thing. We're all vying for the same outcome. And when do we get to the breaking point when enough is enough? And your character certainly gets to that point as well. Um, Andrea, I'd like to go to you for a minute and talk about um, where your book is placed, uh, the time frame, and also, you know, this, this concept here of the dilemma of letting go of the past. So um, it is placed, it's contemporary. In my head, it takes place in 2014 because that's when I wrote it. Um, and uh, Callie is a millennial. Uh, her older sister is eight years older. So she's Gen X, more my era. And um, that's where a lot of the pop culture um, comes in because those are the, the movies that um, Callie grew up watching were her sister's favorites. You know, the When Harry Met Sally's and Sleepless in Seattle. And um, as far as the, um, the dilemma about letting go of the past, I think it's such a common issue that whether it's a romantic choice or another type of choice, so many of us, we've made choices at different um, points in our lives. And 
have had the, well, what if, you know, what if I had done this or that? And obviously with this, all this interest in, um, in science fiction, in the metaverse and all these, you know, if you have parallel lives. And I guess that's sort of what, one of the concepts that always interests me. And in Typecast, um, what I was really intrigued by is the idea that when you make a choice at a given time, you make it based on the information you have at that time and who you are at that time. And sometimes you get caught up in that picture of yourself of who you are, but you've actually, you grow over time and you have to allow your thinking about yourself and your choices to change as well. Yeah. And you know, you, your title is typecast, but that also just makes me go back to Andrew's book of having to live within strict stereotypes of um, expectations of uh, cultural norms in society. So Barbara, I want to hop to you because you, uh, your character is to me, atypical. I love that you've picked this protagonist who's 500 pounds. How did you do that? And let's talk about also the culture of carnival. We have a listener who, uh, Michelle Ann Waite, who frequently is uh, a, a listener on Launchpad who actually has lots of carnival experience. So I wanna talk, hear from you about cultural um, uh, aspects of the carnival and why you picked that particular protagonist. Well, I picked the 500 pound protagonist because I just wanted to have a plus size protagonist in my book. I'm a plus size person and I just want there to be more plus size protagonists. Um, but then, you know, you sort of start to think, what if you're like, well, what if she's so plus size, she can't leave her house. What if she lives in a time of history when there are no other plus size, you know, people her size. And then what if she has to go on the run? And then um, it sort of took off from there. And I, I love closed societies and, you know, secret societies. And so I really wanted to write a book about that. And those two things just sort of came together, the carnival and um, this person, her story just seemed like it could take place in the carnival. And then from there, I had to sort of set it in the late 1970s because that was when it was the end of the sideshow and she could still conceivably be alive in our modern day. Amazing. And we have several uh, comments. Barbara Connery, USA Today bestseller is with us. She says, wow. Linda Rosen, uh, who has a new book coming out in May, is with us. And uh, Bonnie Bell Grenoble uh, Thornton is saying, what a wonderful variety of panelists. So again, if you're watching with us, please feel free to leave comments for us. Nancy, um, I love that you have a variety of books that you write. You like write some rom-com. You do not apparently write crime novels, even though Amazon wants <laughs> us to believe that you do. Um, you like to write about smart women and sexy men. Talk to us more about that in the context of your novel, When We Were Friends. Sure. Well, I will say I didn't necessarily start out to have a romance in the novel, but you know, you can take the the writer out of romance, you can't take the romance out of the writer. And um, I came up with this idea for Seth, who is Franny's uh, sort of her frenemy, you know, her child, sort of they were childhood enemies in school and he's come back and, you know, so um, that was a lot of fun actually to write that interaction and to have him be a complication in this trying to escape. Um, and it's also goes to this, you know, um, I loved what Andrea said about, you know, 
changing your perspective of who you are as you grow as a person and getting stuck when you can't do that. And, and Franny's very stuck in a lot of ways is this little kid, you know, she, she's, they came from a, a pretty poor town, but she was even in the poor town, they were poor. She had a single mom who was struggling and she, she has, you know, she has a chip on her shoulder about this. And here are all these people who know where she came from and who she is. And she thinks that's a negative. And she has to learn to see herself through other people's eyes. And Seth is one of those people who's always seen the fighter in her, who, you know, he hears the story, not all the details, but here's the story of her committing a crime, realizing Lexi's involved. And he immediately was like, well, she did something to protect Lexi. That's who Franny is. She's a protector. So she doesn't see herself. She sees herself as the person who made this really stupid decision and ended up going to prison at 19 and not realizing other people see her differently. So that's definitely part of her journey is learning to grow. And that's you know part of what this romantic interest does for her, helps her see herself in a new light. Thank you for that. One of the things that I felt in each of your novels as I prepared for today was somehow each of your protagonists are being held captive by something. And I, and I don't know if you resonate with that connection that I made, but I'd like to go back. Uh, maybe I'll start with Andrea this time. Um, how would you say that that um, sense of being held captive is in your book? So I think it's pro the, the primary way is, um, and I, I don't want there to be any spoilers, but Callie feels some guilt about some choices she made and how she handled things. And that has colored her view of herself for 10 years. And she's almost not comfortable in her own skin anymore because she just sees herself as this is not the person that she wanted um, to be. And what she has to come to terms with is self-forgiveness in order to release herself from that captivity. There's also, um, I think there's also an idea about your role in your family. She's the little sister and she's a preschool teacher, unmarried. She lives rent-free in her parents' house because they're convinced she can't possibly manage to support herself on a preschool teacher's salary. And her older sister, who's not just an older sister, but eight years older, perfect in every way, um, or at least so it appears, there's sort of the dynamic of the, the baby and the, you know, the success story. And so I think that's also a, a captivity kind of in, in familial roles. I've always been really, even though I'm an only child, I'm really interested in um, uh, birth order and how that impacts your development. So that's, I guess, the two ways I see it in typecast. Well, thank you. I did a whole graduate paper on birth order. So I love that you're fascinated by oh, that wow. as well. <laughs> I'll have to read it. <laughs> Marion O'Shea, where Nikki thinks all of these books sound fascinating and tempting. And Mary Helen Sheriff, the author marketing coach, has joined us. So welcome everybody who is joining us. Keep your comments coming. And Joe, I think in your um, wonderful novel, Dynasties, I think it is the most obvious of being held captive. But talk about that a little bit more. Well, actually, after hearing Barbara, I'm more fascinated with her book now because I'm thinking it's like, you know, you're seeing this um, plus size protagonist who's trapped within the confines of her body and it's not her fault. Um, and, you know, that takes me back to when I think of Sheetal Prasad, she's trapped within the confines of society, culture, tradition, expectations, which is built on a foundation that is not her fault. She never asked for it. 
Plus, then you throw in the concept of arranged versus marriages for love and having to choose your partner wanting to versus marrying the person chosen for you because now you've got, you know, the family expectations and the standards to live up to. So when you throw all of that in, the question is, is there really a choice for her? And I'm thinking of Barbara's story and I'm like, well, she's got all this weight around her, which is like padding. Does she have a choice to break free? She wants to, but can she? And that's the same thing with Sheetal. You know, she wants to break free and she struggles like crazy throughout the novel. And every time she makes one step forward or takes one step, she's thrown five steps back. There's, there's lots and lots of ways of being trapped um, by others and uh, by ourselves. Barbara, let's go to you and then we'll go to uh, Nancy after you about this sense of um, being trapped or being held captive, if you will. Yeah, I mean, the protagonist is quite obviously trapped within her own body, but much like um, Andrew's lead character, she's also trapped by the expectations of society that women are supposed to look a certain way, be a certain way, and fulfill certain roles. And what do you do when none of these roles are available to you? And that's why she goes into the subcultures. And one of the things I really enjoyed about writing the book was, um, and there's an actual town in Florida called Gibsonton, Florida, where many carnival and circus people spend the winter and it has all these zoning laws like you can have elephants there you can park circus trailers on the lawn there are like Siamese twins who had a fruit stand for a while and so it is a town where all of these outsiders can come together and just live as insiders and so i use that as an example to create a fictional town in my book where so um yes but to find a space for her i had to there had to be this whole other town and this whole other world because she couldn't um, rearrange society to see, suit her desires, much like in the character, the case of Andrew's characters. Well, being in Sarasota, Florida, which is the home of the circus, I can very much, <laughs> very much appreciate that. And Nancy, you know, we're talking right now about being held captive. One of your um, protagonists certainly was really held captive by being in prison. Talk more about that, though, because it's not just being in prison in your novel, When We Were Friends. Right. So, yeah, there there is the very literal captivity of imprisonment. Um, she's also held captive. You know, there are really similar themes in these books, you know, the economics of the situation. Her friend needed help that required money and she didn't have any. So they were trapped and this was a way out. Again, she made a, a decision maybe she shouldn't have, but she really at that point in her time as a 19 year old saw this as the only thing she could do. And now, of course, she feels trapped with that decision. Um, but it's very funny to hear Barbara talk about the town. You know, I, sometimes when I describe the book, I talk about, well, it opens with stranger comes to town because Franny's the stranger coming to Lexi's new town. And, uh, you know, there's this old saying, every story is about e either someone comes to town or someone leaves. I'm like, this is a someone comes to town. And she is the outsider, but she realizes, you know, and that's sort of what's going on, you know, stepdaughter and the, the rescue mud, and they're all outsiders in their own way. Um, and there is this community of, of, you know, coming together and, and again, you know, feeling stuck in who you are, but then learning to grow because you're connecting with other people, you're helping other people grow in their own lives. So I think our stories are all about some level of captivity, but also about growing so that you can break free. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that, Nancy, because one of the things that I'm so struck by within my own writing is what my characters taught me that was very surprising to me uh, that, you know, even though we create these characters, somehow they, 
um, teach us something. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you. What have your characters taught you? Patience, perseverance, rewrites, <laughs> revisions. Uh, but most of all, that I, I did not know, and I, I don't mean to be rude, but what the hell was I writing? It was just a mammoth of a series that fell in my lap. And I learned that in order to, this goes back to what Nancy just said, in order to break free, you've got to be at that level of thought, perception, and strength, inner strength, to be able to break free. Because, you know, she, though, in modern day India, she has the power to divorce. She has the power to go home. There's nothing stopping her. Um, she's living in the 70,000 estate, and it's in a fictional city, which doesn't even exist in India. So when everything becomes real, in today's India, women are taking divorces. They're making decisions which are good for them, not good for the family. But yet she doesn't break free. And so when I started looking into it, I realized it's all these um, emotional, you know, up here, the restraints we keep up here that hold us back. And I learned from her that you've got to let go in order to move forward. Oh, I love that. Andrea, what did your characters teach you? Can I just say what Anju said? <laughs> that in order <laughs> that in order to uh, to let go, you have to move forward. Um, and I, I think also just um, this whole idea of not staying locked in your view of your past yeah. self, that um, your perception start to be willing to question your perceptions of yourself and of your past. And that we tell ourselves stories about why certain things happened or why we did things, but those stories may not be the whole truth. Even if they're somewhat true, they may not be the whole truth. And so I think part of learning who we are and um, growing as people is starting to, to, be willing to rethink those stories that we tell ourselves. Oh, I, I'm loving this. I, I've never asked that question. Can uh, I just add to that? Yes, what, what Andrea said, hit the nail on the head for every woman. We keep repeating narratives to ourselves from the past that do not exist anymore. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Nancy and then Barbara, same question. What did your characters teach you? Particularly in this book, I think the characters taught me the power of self-forgiveness. They're each blaming themselves for things that happened to the other person. And they have to come to the realization that you can't control everything. And even, even if you can control something and you make the wrong choice, as Andrea said earlier, you're working with the best information you have and mistakes will happen and we're human. And I think that's another thing women struggle with is self-forgiveness. We're so, you know, we're kind of taught we're supposed to hold everyone else up and forgive everyone else. And we forget that we need that kind of self-forgiveness and self-love as well. This is this is fabulous. I, we should be taking notes and writing a book about this. Barbara, Barbara, tell me about what your character taught you, and then I want to get to some questions. Um, I'm going to say something very similar to what um, Andrea was saying. I think my character characters taught me, you know, not to be afraid to just be bolder. And you know, they took I well, they took. I mean, I guess I wrote them taking a lot of chances and doing a lot of things outside of their comfort zone. And I think it's accurate. You know, we tell ourselves stories about things we're good at and things we can do and things we can't do. And a lot of them, I think, are lies. I think if we really turned them over and looked at them, we would realize that we're capable of so much more as writers, as humans. And I think my characters really helped me see that. 
Fabulous. And, you know, we're getting great comments from the panel and we'll, we'll circle back through the various platforms and answer them more in depth. And we're almost out of time, but I want to make sure we get to Judy Brenner's question. Her question is, because this will be for each of you, so I'll ask for you to answer relatively briefly. Uh, Judy's question is, I've written about a woman trapped in a controlling marriage in the moments between dreams. Society, society sets its own captive rulebook. Did each of you consider a different ending to set your characters free, or did you start writing knowing the happy ending? Do any of your books end without a H-E-A? I should probably know what that means. Happily, happily ever after. after. Happily ever after. after. I got it. Okay, quickly, Andrea. Um. I basically knew the ending. Um, I like happy endings. I mean, I, occasionally I'll read the book that makes me sob and that's good too. But um, I knew there was going to be a happy ending. I didn't completely know what shape it was going to take. Um, and I think that was something that developed a bit as I wrote. It was definitely one of those classic experiences that writers talk about that your characters start telling you things that you didn't know. Um, about about them and their stories. Okay, Andrew. So I would say um, I started the entire series with what is now the ending of book two. And I had no clue because I had to work backwards, you know, who are these people, what's going on, blah, blah. But I, I would say that um, I did not consider the ending. The ending was given to me and each and every book in the series has a justified ending, which is justified for the protagonist at her moment in time. Fascinating. Nancy and then Barbara, same question. Did you think about a happily ever after ending? And did you know it at the start? Well, you know, again, coming from romance, um, happily ever after, ever after is kind of in my brand. So I knew it would have a happy ending. Interestingly, as much as I complained about Amazon trying to make me a crime writer, I will say the initial long ago seed for this was a caper story, which quickly went away. Um, but when it was a caper, it had a slightly different ending, still happy. Um, but then as soon as I switched gears, realized it was really about the friendship, I knew how it would end. Okay. Barbara, last but not least. Um, no, I did not think mine was going to have a happily ever after. My original concept of the book was it was a, it was a pretty it was a much darker book when I originally started uh, writing it. Over time, my character did not want that for herself, um, and so I gave her. I wouldn't call it a happily ever after because it's not a purely happy ending, but um, she she gets a I think a very satisfying and good ending. Wonderful. I can't thank the four of you enough. This has been a wonderful episode of Launchpad. Hold up your books. Um, Anju Katani, um, Dynasties, absolutely beautiful. Barbara Baum Miller and your book, When You See Her. And I always like to get these correct. A Andrea J. Stein, Typecast, and Nancy Yeager with When We Were Friends. Thank you for joining us on Launchpad and find your next book and fall in love with your next author right here. This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad.